Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Thank you for joining us this morning. We are in the middle of this series uh, looking at the book of Galatians. Uh, We've been kind of going through this book a little slowly and uh, pulling out some truths. Um, Just to kind of set this uh, up this morning, just to give you a little recap, uh, Paul had in his first missionary journey planted uh, four churches in Galatia, which is like southern Turkey. And uh, this was a little while after, and Paul is writing this letter back to these churches, uh, giving them a little warning. Paul was preaching the gospel of Christ, and there was a small group of Jewish believers uh, who were also followers of Jesus. However, this group called the Judaizers uh, had kind of been adding on to the gospel message. Uh, They had been kind of following Paul and uh, telling the Gentile believers that if you really wanted to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to need to follow the law, and all the men need to get circumcised. And, uh, and so Paul's like, hey, wait, time out. Uh, that is not the gospel that I came to give you. And uh, this whole letter is sent to clarify what is the gospel and being able to untie this little knot that the Judaizers had come behind Paul and created. So that's the whole kind of gist of uh, this letter, and Paul is telling us, man, how to live free in Christ. That's the theme of the whole letter, how to live free in Christ. So we're going to dive into kind of a a second portion of it, and uh, so you all ready? All right, here we go. Maybe this is the third. Is this the third week? I think it's the third week. All right. Uh, Let's pray uh, before we dive in. God, thank you so much for your word. God, we came here to hear from you, and Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit, God, would speak through your word, speak to our heart, no matter where we're at, and God, lead us uh, into a relationship with you, lead us into walking confidently before you, Uh, let us lean into um, being the people that you've made us to be for this hour, and so Lord, we come and say we're hungry, teach us, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to dive right in. Galatians 3, chapter 3, we're going to start off right from the top. All right, here we go. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham." And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
All right, so Paul kind of just starts diving in. Man, who has bewitched you? Why are you giving up on this message that you first received? Uh, You ever uh, hear of a man named Charles Blondin? Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was born in 1824 and about the middle of the 1800s began to be known as a very famous tightrope walker. And Charles Blondin put a rope across Niagara Falls Uh, He walked across it many times. I know a few years ago there was a man who had done the same thing. He had big, big kind of news uh, evening. I don't know if you remember it. It was probably about three years ago, four years ago. Uh, But anyway, this guy, Charles Blondin, he walked uh, across it so many times. He was confident uh, that he became, uh, he would would walk forward and he would walk backwards. He would uh, bring out a little stool and a table, and in the middle of over the Niagara Falls, he would have his lunch. Um, He became so versatile, but then uh, after a while, after his little display, he would come up to the growing crowd, and he would ask somebody in the crowd, all right, now that you've seen me go forwards, backwards, have a little lunch out there, who's willing to jump on my shoulders? And go across. And so, um, whether it be um, uh, you know a volunteer um, that's brave or maybe perhaps foolish, uh, they would volunteer and hop on Blondin's back, and Blondin would take that person across and back. And it's really, it's actually a really perfect example of what it means to place your faith in Christ to bring you to God. Uh, but just suppose that. Halfway across that, uh, halfway across the uh, the tightrope there, let's say the man said to Blondin, "Look here, this is all very well, but I really don't trust you anymore. I'd rather I'd I'd think I'd do better the rest myself. Let me down, and I'll walk from here without you." One could probably imagine the response, not just by the professional Blondin, but by the ensuing crowd watching, like, what in the world is that person doing? They're letting go. They've never done this before. They're letting go of the professional to try to do it themselves. Well, that's exactly the reaction Paul has on hearing that, this, that his beloved Galatians were thinking about getting circumcised. Are they out of their minds? They seem to have lost the power to think straight, Paul has thought. Having begun in the Spirit, do they think they can continue with law-keeping of the Jewish law or Torah, especially for these Gentile Galatians? So understand why this is important to Paul. We need to remind ourselves what's at stake. Paul was concerned above all else about who the Galatians thought they were. Were they part of the Messiah family, the people who belonged to the new age which had begun with Jesus' death and resurrection? Or were they trying to become part of the physical family of Israel, joining by circumcision the people of God defined by an ethnic origin? Paul's trying to parse these two subjects in this letter. Are you added to the Messiah family that started with Jesus, or are you being added back into the family that God had established through Moses? So he gives them, uh, he, he kind of gives them in this passage two very solid reasons why they shouldn't get off and try to walk by themselves. Number one, God had given them his spirit. God has given you his spirit. 
And then secondly, therefore, they are already the true children of Abraham. These Gentiles, they were already the true children of Abraham. Paul is saying, man, if you go and get circumcised, what you're saying is that the spirit isn't of value, but the flesh. You're climbing off the back of the one who's carrying you to safety and insisting on doing things in a way that you will know will lead to disaster. You are forgetting how this whole thing has begun and the life that you are presently enjoying, the present life of the spirit and the church, the powerful things God has done in your midst happen, Paul says, because of the spirit, not because your obedience to the rules. And this happens in the context of your trust in God's enabling grace in your life. In essence, Paul is lining up these these kind of four terms. He's lining up faith in the Spirit, walking in faith, living in the Spirit, and he pits them against walking in the flesh and living by the law. And so for the rest of the letter, he's going to pit these two kind of concepts together, faith in the Spirit and the flesh and the law, and how they're actually enemies of one another. So at the end of the passage, he brings up this man, Abraham. Abraham is this man in the Old Testament, and he takes two key passages from the story of Abram or Abraham and showing the direction that he's pointing. In Genesis 12, God comes to this man, Abram, and he calls him out, and he says this, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the Abrahamic covenant. This is God's covenant with Abraham, that through you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And then in Genesis 15, God comes to Abram again. And then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And verse 6, here's the clincher. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Man, Abraham believed God and what he promised. So if Genesis 15 speaks of faith as a sign of covenant connection with God, and Genesis 12 promises that God will bless all the nations through him, put those two promises together with what Christ has done, and you have Paul's whole argument. And this is it. When people believe the gospel of Jesus, they are already in covenant with God and Abraham's true children, a part of God's promised family. Boom. That's what Paul is trying to communicate in this really essential letter that the Galatians don't get off track, that they aren't tempted to change the story, that they aren't attempting to use obedience to the law as a way to be perfected, that actually it's life in the Spirit and a life in faith. So Paul continues in the meat of this chapter. We're going to kind of move a little quicker. Um, He continues in the meat of this chapter to communicate that Israel's lack of obedience to the law has now created a roadblock in the plan of God. Uh, You ever love bumper-to-bumper traffic? Anybody love that? Oh, man. 
Uh, some people I know that love audiobooks tend to sometimes answer yes, but for the majority of people, it's a no. It's no. I hate it. And then usually it's always some small little matter, right, that everybody's rubbernecking and looking at. But sometimes there can be big crashes. Uh, there was one time I was driving back uh, from Colorado, and there was a big semi that had tipped over and went about 45 degrees and kind of blocked the, the majority, the only uh, part was uh, the shoulder, so they were trying to, but it, man, it slowed everything down. Well, that's exactly what had happened to the nation of Israel. It was like an overturned truck in the middle of the road holding back God's plan from being carried out that they could be a blessing to the nations. God gave them a road back, uh, God gave them the law as a road map, hello, uh, for God's people. It contained rules for the road, which warned them that certain types of behavior would result in being cursed rather than blessed. And God's people became so disobedient to, God, uh, to God's roadmap that the curse of exile fell on, their, uh, fell on the nation of Israel. The curse of exile. And the people of God were devastated and deported to the pagan nations, which looks uncomfortably like the exact opposite of what God had in mind, that he would bless the nations through Israel. But in fact, they weren't a blessing. The road to bless the nations had been blocked. But in Christ, Paul says, that roadblock has now been removed. The traffic can flow as God always intended. From the promise of Abraham through Christ can now be extended to all the nations. And what Christ and what Israel needed was God to renew this covenant that he had made with Abraham, that there was a, a long cry from prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, this cry that one day God is going to renew this covenant and take our heart made with stone and give us a heart of flesh. And there was this promise, well, Paul says, man, that moment has arrived. Your true deliverer has come. So we pick up. That's a little summary of the middle chapter. Then we pick up in verse 23. Verse 23, it says, Before this faithfulness arrived, we were under guard by the law, in close confinement, until the coming faithfulness should be revealed. Thus the law was like a babysitter for us, looking after us until the coming of the Messiah, so that we might be given covenant membership on the basis of faithfulness. So now that faithfulness has come in Christ, we are no longer under the rule of the babysitter, for we are, all God's, we are all children of God through the faithfulness which is in the Messiah, Jesus. You see, every one of you who has been baptized into the Messiah has put on the Messiah. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no male or female. You are all one in the Messiah, Jesus. And if you belong to the Messiah, you are Abraham's family, and you stand to inherit the promise. Wow. Paul's whole point is about the story of Moses, between the, the, the story of the Messiah between the time of Moses to Christ, during which time Israel was still, in Paul's kind of understanding, a child. And then they needed to be placed under a guardian that could help this child grow up into the nation that he desired them to be, to reflect the nature of who God is. 
But with the coming of the Messiah, Israel was at last a grown-up child. And the faithfulness of the Messiah himself is the sign that here finally is the mature Israelite found in Christ. His faithfulness. Coming to bring God's promise to fulfillment. And the answering faith of the believer is the sign that this person, no matter what their ethnic background, no matter what their social status, whether they be man or woman, they are full and complete as a member of God's family in Christ. Amazing. Amazing. Well, if Paul was a good Pharisee, I found this kind of interesting. If he was a good Pharisee, I'm sure he was, uh, before he was saved, there was a common Jewish Thanksgiving prayer that was said at a lot of times in the evening. And part, a snippet in that prayer says this, I thank God that you have not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. So Paul <laughs> takes that straight shot and head on. And he says, no, in the Messiah, there is neither Jew nor Greek. In the Messiah, there's neither bond nor free. In the Messiah, there's neither male or female. There are external differences, but spiritually speaking, they are the same. Wow. And so for Paul, and for this new emerging Messiah family community coming up in the midst of southern Turkey, Paul declares that there's no place for racial prejudice or preference. Man, there's no place for social strata or status in God's kingdom. There's no place to see people as lesser in value, whether they be man or woman. They are equals in every way that matters to God. God's new Messiah family will indeed reflect heaven. Amen? So Paul has taken... Well, I'll just share a small little story, which is, there was a, there was a time when, uh, in my life where uh, I was sensing God kind of drawing me into going into full-time ministry, and uh, my wife, no, actually, this was later. Sorry, kind of spontaneous story. But I just remember, uh, within the first five years of following Jesus, I attended a church one time. I, I, w- I was visiting. We were just visiting this church. And uh, it was in an old uh, grocery store, and uh, old Jewish guy uh, ran the church, and uh, he had done a lot of homeless ministry. And man, it was so cool because this this church you walked in, and it was like you walked into heaven. It was like you could see a bunch of different people. They were like doctors and homeless people worshiping God on the same row. There was this just smorgasbord of different type of people, different classes, different colors, different, I mean, it was, it was this menagerie of humanity. And I just remember in my heart, man, it's like that is what God's church has to look like. It has to look like heaven. And so ever since, it's just been a cry. It's like, God, let us be a people that reflect heaven. Let us be a community that reflects heaven. And so, Paul takes this foundational story that every Jewish person knew about them, that God had redeemed his people, but Paul moves that story one step further. Because of the faithfulness of Jesus, the time of God's true 
deliverance has now come. For all who become children of God attest the reality that their confession by yielding themselves to the guide and enabling Spirit of God, thus they become sons and daughters of God. So Paul goes on and he says in Galatians 4.1, he says, Let me put it like this. As long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, even if, in fact, he is master of everything. He is kept under guardians and stewards until the time set by his father. Well, it's like that with us. We were slaves to the basic spiritual powers of the world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that, we could, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So God sent Moses to redeem the people of Egypt. If you remember back, God sent Moses in the burning bush to go into, back into Egypt and redeem his people, to purchase their freedom from slavery. That freedom was secured by a, a, a moment called Passover. So there were a lot of uh, curses that were kind of placed by God on, on uh, Egypt for uh, Pharaoh hardening his heart by not releasing God's people, and uh, at the very end, uh, there is this Passover, that through the sacrifice of the lamb, if you put the blood over your doorpost, the angel of death will swing by and be, you be protected. And um, so, they have this Passover, Pharaoh releases the Israelites, and they go out into the wilderness, and 40 days from Passover, God gives the law to Moses. This new young family, God gives the law to this young child of a nation. But here comes this new Passover, Paul says, Paul would, is alluding to. When the fullness of time came, God sent out not Moses, but his own son, Jesus the Messiah, so that through his death, freedom could be bought and the slaves could become true children. Not only that. But Jesus was crucified right before Passover, 40 days later. Just like the story of Moses, 40 days later, instead of giving the law this time, God gives his spirit at Pentecost. 40 days later, God is reforming a brand new covenant with a brand new Messiah people. And so Paul says, you've been purchased out of slavery and into freedom in Christ, Jew and Gentile alike. For the Gentile, he rescued you out of idolatry, and paganism, sensuality, and the flesh. For the Jew, he's rescued you out of the obedience, the strict obedience to the law, because most of the law is fulfilled in Christ. So here's this new Messiah family that God is calling together. Now, it's interesting, in Roman culture, much like our own, adoption was a very difficult process. It was a long, involved, expensive legal procedures, uh, but once they were enacted and that person was adopted. They re, it, it afforded them special privileges and rights. There were three in particular. 
If in the Roman culture you became adopted, there were three things that could happen to you. One, all debts were canceled. Number two, all criminal charges were dropped. And number three, they could never be disinherited by their new father. Wow, God has adopted you. He's canceled debts. Criminal charges are dropped. And he can never disinherit you. And Paul says, you've been adopted by God himself. Mm. So in Christ, you're not just redeemed, but you're also become a part of God's family with the Father that will never, ever leave you or disinherit you. In which God sends the spirit of his Son into our hearts to turn people into his true children. He says, so that uh, he says that he could adopt us and he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. That was a reference that only little children made to their human father. It was never before this point ever, ever, ever referenced to God the creator. And so there's this term of intimacy and familiarity that Paul introduces and says, man, when the spirit of God hits your heart, you become like a little child to its father. Like, man, this, this open connection. So, here we go. Paul's aim throughout is to make the Galatian believers, mostly Gentile, realize that their pilgrimage from paganism to Christ is matched stride by stride by the Jewish pilgrimage of coming out as a young child under the law and in to Christ. You are no longer a slave, either to the law or to the idols. You are a true child of God, if you believe that gospel. And so Paul binds or builds this tremendous case, and then he ends with this. And this is the last little section we'll deal. He kind of ends with a little hammer stroke, a little two-by-four across the cheek. All right, here we go. So Galatians 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I have labored over you in vain. You can see this continual frustration, but this call to action, this call, this charge by Paul much like the Israelites crying out to God in the wilderness, God, you, dr- you brought us out of Egypt to be here in this wilderness. We're suffering. Let us go back to Egypt. And it's that same cry that these Gentiles were, or uh, these Galatian Gentiles were kind of echoing in their new life in Christ. We kind of want to go back. Or if it's not just to our old uh, life of idols, we're trying to go into this system that's going to enslave us also. They seem to be determined to return once more to the world where life seems safer, more regulated, back to the old pagan gods that they worshipped until they were set free, or to try to embrace, like I said, the Judaic system of ethnic and territorial membership rather than membership in God's new Messiah family. And so Paul, then with this little capper, 
I mean, you're even getting caught up in the Jewish festivals, all of which looked forward to the great act of redemption that God was going to one day accomplish. Hello, He's accomplished those. Why are you still celebrating these festivals that looking forward to a time that's already arrived? You've been adopted in Christ to the family of God, so Paul says, live like it. Live fully in it. Don't hold anything back. Don't be trying to go back and restoring and building up the things that enslaved you in the past. But it seems to be, that seems to be kind of a common uh, magnetic pull or temptation by those who do follow Christ. That there's this kind of echo or this, this call or this little hook that trying to pull you back into the things that God has rescued out of. Or... When you begin following Christ, there's a temptation that, man, it's my perfection. My, like, diligent obedience is what's going to make my faith grow. And so there's these two temptations on either side of following Christ. And Paul says, man, don't go to the right or to the left, but stay straight in the gospel. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus, Lord, I know for many of us here, Lord, we're familiar with that temptation. Familiar to get called back into Egypt, getting called back into slavery, getting called back into our old idols that we succumbed to before, God, you set us free. But Lord, many of us also are tempted, God, to, to get caught up into a works mentality that God is based upon our obedience to your law, and we overlook your grace. Lord God, I pray that, Lord, if there's any of us here that God has sensed that temptation to come on back, come on back to your enslavement, come on back to those old habits, those old ways of thinking, Lord, if that's us and God, we've been giving into those. Father, right now, I pray that we would lay that at the foot of your cross. Lord God, that we would repent of that. God, that means turning, laying that at the foot of the cross of Jesus and turning to live another way, trusting in God's grace and his spirit to give you the power and the victory and the life to live as God called you to live. And so, Lord, if God, if there's any of us here that have those hooks, that have those habits, God, those, those old things that are, trying, that are having a hard time dying off, God, I pray that just this morning, God, we lay that at your feet and say, Jesus, take this from me. God, it has become a curse. God, I thought this was going to bring me into more freedom, but God, it's bringing, him into more, bringing me into more slavery. God, I hand this to you right now. I trust you. And God, I just, as, as, uh, as Blondin asked to hop on his back, God, I'm hopping on your back right now. God, I'm trusting in you fully. Lord, we repent of those. God, we receive your forgiveness. God, we rebuke those demonic spirits, those elementary spirits that Paul just talked about. God, we just take authority over those demonic spirits and command them to leave in Jesus' name. And Lord, we replace it with your truth about what you say about us, what your word says, God, who you are in Jesus' name. 
So, Lord God, I pray that, Lord, we give you our lenses, God, that we can see as you see, that we wouldn't get caught up as these Gentiles did, either into their old life or into a life of perfection. But, God, it's life in your spirit. It's having faith in that you, God, are going to do your work in and through us. God, you authoring our faith, you're perfecting our faith, but God, through us, God, it's the blessing of the nations. Lord, let us not be like Israel who became a roadblock to your plan. But Lord God, I pray that, Lord, everyone here, that, Lord, you would accomplish your will through us this week in Jesus' name. God, you have the amazing ability, even though we're not perfect, God, to still move powerfully through broken lives to others that need you, that need your gospel, that need your love, that need serving the way you serve. So, Lord God, I pray that we would be your church this week. Let us stick strong to your gospel and not get distracted. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.